What do you want to call me a murderer for? I've never killed anyone. I don't need to kill anyone. I think it. Believe me, if I started murdering people, there'd be none of you left. Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight on Exploring Evil. I'm your host, Jeremiah, but I want to give special thanks to Caleb Pipkins for the writing and arranging and research on this program that you'll hear tonight. Remember to tell your friends and enemies about us. Leave us a five-star review and subscribe. And I wanted to remind you, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, please email me at exploringevil at gmail.com. We'll get into tonight's story, which is Patrick Kearney, the trash bag murderer. Tijuana, Mexico, 1967. A man known only as George is sleeping in his master bedroom. He would never wake up. A cold-blooded killer presses the rusty barrel of a 22 caliber Derringer revolver against his forehead. All it took was a little pressure on the trigger and the killer could harvest his victim. George's slumped over body is dragged from his bed inch by inch closer and closer to the bathroom of his tiny cottage. The killer uses every last bit of strength to roll George's naked corpse face down into the tub. The killer has his way with the lifeless vessel before using an exacto knife to remove George's skin piece by piece. He took his time disarticulating his victim, reveling in his macabre art. After removing the slug from George's head and dismembering him, the killer buries George behind his own garage and crosses the bridge, heading to his home in Culver City, California. Born on September 24, 1939 in eastern Los Angeles, California, Patrick Wayne Kearney was the eldest of three sons by two loving parents, George a police officer and Eunice a homemaker. Kearney had a relatively stable family life. Records indicate that his parents were nurturing and supportive to he and his two brothers and he never claimed to have been abused. The trauma he endured as a child did not begin until he was around 11 years old when his father moved Patrick and his family to Reseda, California in 1950. Patrick was an unusually short, frail, and sickly child whose attributes were often compared to that of a typical nerd. Kearney found himself targeted for relentless bullying, often including homophobic slurs even though he had not yet come out of the closet as a homosexual. The harassment lasted well into his high school years. According to a University of North Carolina Charlotte study, 
Kids that are the victim of bullying are more than twice as likely to serve prison time as kids who are not bullied. At age 13, what would seem like a father-son bonding moment turned into one of the earliest observable indications of Kearney's disturbed psyche. His father started teaching him how to slaughter pigs. They would shoot the pig behind the left ear, a quick process, much like what his preferred method of execution would be with his future victims. After slaughtering the pigs, however, an unsupervised Kearney would take pleasure in rolling around in the blood, guts, and feces of their disemboweled carcasses. A morbid attraction to feces and filth in general is called a coprophilia, and it is a paraphilia which can induce sexual arousal. Patrick eventually grew unsatisfied with slaughtering pigs for food and started killing and mutilating other animals as well. It is not known if Kearney was a bedwetter or liked to start fires, but that is the trifecta of a budding serial killer. It was during this stage in his life that an adolescent Kearney would become withdrawn and begin to fantasize about killing others, specifically those who bullied him in school. It should be noted, though, that he claims to have started thinking about homicide in general at age 8. His family would uproot and move around a few more times, perhaps doing damage to his sense of security, and after Wilcox, Arizona, they ended up in Houston, Texas. According to a study printed in the Washington Post, children who move around often are almost twice as likely to attempt suicide, have a psychiatric disorder, abuse substances, and become violent offenders. After graduating high school, Kearney moved back to California where he attended community college but dropped out after only one year. He then enlisted in the Air Force and was sent back to Texas after completing his basic training. It was while stationed in Texas that Kearney met David Hill and their relationship soon evolved from good friends to lovers. After being honorably discharged from the Air Force in 1961, at age 21, he moved back to California to live with Hill. Hill and Kearney were not entirely exclusive, though, and it was noted that they often had fights that would result in Hill leaving to hitchhike around the country, and during one of these trips in 1962, Hill decided to get back together with his estranged wife, Linda. This could have been a stressor for Kearney, which ignited his fantasies and desires into action. It was the same year that Kearney started taking history courses at California State University at Long Beach while also becoming increasingly fixated on the history of notable serial killers, specifically Dean Corll, better known as the Candyman, who murdered at least 28 young boys and was able to enlist the help of two boys to procure victims for him. The Candyman plied his trade in Houston similar to Tony Shore, which we covered in a previous episode. It was also in this same year that Kearney's killing spree would begin. Homosexual men were being murdered in bunches from 1975 to 1977, dumped unceremoniously along highways between Los Angeles and the Mexican border. 
The investigation centered on Patrick Wayne Kearney, an electronics engineer from Los Angeles who looked nothing like the stereotypical serial killer with his glasses and harmless demeanor. Over a relatively short span of 15 years, 1962 to 1977, it is suspected that Kearney took the lives of up to 43 young men and boys. In his confession, he only remembered 28. At least, that's what he was willing to share with investigators. Police were only able to prove and convict Kearney of 21 murders, but that makes him one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Interestingly, Kearney's first and second victim were murdered in the same day, in the same way, and were relatives. Kearney picked up his first victim, a 19-year-old white male whose name remains unknown, at a bar and convinced him to take a ride down to a beach on Kearney's motorcycle. When Kearney and his new friend arrived at the remote location, he then shot his victim in the head and proceeded to live out his sick fantasy and sexually assaulted his corpse. After discarding his body, he then drove back to the same bar and picked up his second victim, the 16-year-old cousin of his first victim, who he then convinced to go on a ride to meet up with his cousin. Kearney executed the boy in the same manner. The murder of the second young man also eliminated the only witness to see Kearney with his other victim. It's unclear if the bodies were ever found, but he also confessed to killing a third young man named Mike in the same manner in 1962, but the details on this are scarce. The remains of the first three victims have never been found, but according to Kearney, the killing spree would not resume until years later in 1967. Most serial killers are unable to take a break this long from killing, so it's entirely possible that there were more victims during this stretch, but none Kearney would share with investigators. In another historic case, BTK, who had his reign of terror in Kansas, was able to take several years off in between murders, so it is possible, but it's also unusual. In his first three crimes, Kearney displayed all of the hallmarks of an organized killer in that he plans his murders and methodically carries them out on his unsuspecting prey. He lures his victims and tricks them into coming with him to remote locations where he executes them and then disposes of the remains in a different location. Kearney is also classified as a cobra in that he goes out to hunt for victims whereas vipers wait for their prey to come to them or fall into a trap they've arranged. In 1967, Kearney was at a seemingly stable point in his life. He had landed a well-paying and steady career as an aircraft engineer and was again living with his previous lover, Hill, now in Culver City, California. The lovers drove to Tijuana where they met an old friend of Hill's known to Kearney only as George. It was then that Kearney shot George between the eyes while he slept in his master bedroom and proceeded to sexually assault, dismember, and skin his corpse in the bathtub with an exacto knife before burying his remains behind the garage. Kearney then took another break, allegedly, that lasted over three years between killings, during which he used his time off to refine his M.O. to ensure an amazing efficiency and frequency in his remaining crimes. 
From 1971 to 1977, Kearney would kill on an almost monthly basis, racking up an astonishing body count. Being short of stature, five foot five, and a slight build, he had developed a strategy to kill that ensured no chance of being overpowered and little chance of police suspicion or interference. Kearney would pick up his victims at various gay bars or along the freeways, earning him the nickname Freeway Killer, in either his truck or Volkswagen. While steering with his left hand, he would then shoot the unsuspecting victims with his right hand in the temple over their left ear, perhaps reliving what he did to the pigs he slaughtered with his father years before. While doing this, he was careful to monitor the speed of his vehicle to avoid exhibiting suspicious behavior to potential witnesses while he drove with their slumped-over corpses. He made trips to remote locations to sexually assault, mutilate, and dismember his victims. He disposed of his prey in various places such as canyons, landfills, deserts, and along the freeway, often encased in industrial trash bags. This was his inspiration behind his self-given nickname, The Trash Bag Murderer, which goes to show what he thought of his victims. He sometimes drained their blood to eliminate any odor and would also sometimes bathe his victims to rid them of evidence such as fingerprints. Many serial killers have a type of victim they seek out. Dr. Mary Ellen O'Toole, a retired FBI profiler who specializes in psychopathy and has worked on hundreds of serial murder cases, says, In terms of how serial killers select their victims, their preferences are a combination of what victims are available, accessible, and desirable. It's like anything else, she says. At first, you don't know what you like and what you don't like. Not all of his victims were young men. Ronald Dean Smith was five. His body was found in Riverside County on October 12, 1974. He was Kearney's youngest known victim. On June 16, 1976, Kearney killed Michael Craig McGee. He was 13. McGee had a lengthy history of juvenile offenses. Kearney picked up McGee, who was hitchhiking from Inglewood Avenue near Lenox, to Torrance. Police say Kearney had befriended the boy and invited him to attend a camping trip to Lake Eleanor over the course of a weekend. Kearney shot him without warning after McGee openly boasted of his criminal exploits and inquired about the presence of burglar alarms in Kearney's home. In a police interview, Kearney implied that he had destroyed the remains, stating, I disposed of the body. You aren't going to find him. Eight-year-old Merle Hondo Chance of Venice vanished on April 6, 1977, while riding his bicycle near Kearney's place of employment. Kearney claims to have smothered the boy, taken his body home overnight, and later disposed of the remains in the Angeles National Forest off of Angeles Crest Highway, approximately 11 miles north of Altadena. Chance's decomposed body was found on May 26, 1977 in the Angeles National Forest. Merle Chance was Kearney's last known victim. 
In Tony Stewart's book, The Trash Bag Murder, which is available on Amazon, he writes about the murder of Merle Hondo Chance. Suddenly, as the words are leaving the boy's mouth, thoughts of concern begin to race through Kearney's head. He begins to think about what this little boy is going to say to his mother, and then he panics. He realizes that a stranger offering to take a small boy to an amusement park may not sound appropriate to his mother or to the police. Kearney quickly pulls his truck over to the side of the road. The boy looks up at the stranger and says, Are you taking me home? The stranger grabs a sweater on the seat and pulls it tightly over the boy's head and body, and then he slides his hand up underneath the garment. With his fingers, he squeezes the nose with force and covers the boy's mouth tightly with his hand and smothers the child. The murder that ultimately led Kearney to his arrest was of John LeMay. John LeMay was murdered by Kearney two months prior in March of 1977. On the day he was murdered, LeMay had told a neighbor that he was going to meet a man who he had previously met at the gym, who happened to be David Hill, and arrived at the residence of Kearney and Hill. Upon his arrival, LeMay was greeted by Kearney, who invited LeMay to join him in watching television until Hill arrived back home. Out of impulse, and without being provoked, Kearney reached for his pistol and shot the unsuspecting LeMay in the back of the head as he sat watching TV. He later dismembered his corpse and discarded the remains in the desert, beside a highway, south of Corona, as he had done so many times before. Amongst many unknown victims are the following. They are listed as victims, but there was little or no information on them. Kenneth Eugene Buchanan, age 17. Jonathan Demchik, age 13. Wilfred L. Faherty, age 20. Robert Benefile, age 18. Nicholas Hernandez Jimenez, age 18. Larry Armadillas, age 15. David Allen, 27. John Woods, 23. James Barwick, 17. Mark Orak, age 20. Timothy Ingram, 19. Arturo Marquez, age 24. All abducted, presumably sexually assaulted, murdered, and dumped along the highway. Friends of LeMay identified Dave as David Hill. They supplied homicide detectives with an address. Warrants were issued for Hill and his roommate, but the lovers remained at large until July 1st when they entered the Riverside County Sheriff's Office, pointed to their posters on the wall, and smilingly announced, that's us. At the end of July 1977, Patrick Kearney was indicted in Riverside County and pleaded innocent to the murders of Albert Rivera, 21, Arturo Marquez, 24, 
in John O. LeMay, 17. Kearney made a full confession initially, admitting to a total of 28 murders, and subsequently to seven more. In order to avoid the death penalty, he agreed to plead guilty. Kearney was charged with 21 counts of murder and, as agreed, pleaded guilty. He was given 21 life sentences. Police are certain that Kearney was responsible for the other seven murders he admitted to, but lacked the physical evidence to charge him. Kearney is incarcerated at California State Prison, Mule Creek. Somehow, Hill was not found to be criminally responsible for any of the murders. So some of my final thoughts, uh, nature over nurture, he kind of got desensitized to killing uh, by killing the, the pigs, but it seemed like he had a pretty good home life except for being bullied. He admitted to thoughts of homicide at age eight. That was before he started moving around a lot and before he started slaughtering the pigs. So. It's kind of uh, obvious to me that nature had a lot to do with this, although his brothers turned out just fine. He had a really good family from what it seemed like. He never accused them of abuse or anything like that. They did move around a lot, which we discussed can, can cause some major issues along with the bullying. So in my opinion, he kind of started out as a bad seed and then the bullying and the moving around just kind of formed him into what he turned out to be. Not that that's any excuse because a lot of kids suffer bullying and move around a lot and they don't turn out to be killers. Another thing I wanted to discuss is why do serial killers confess? It seems like in a lot of the cases that we'll cover, the serial killers confess and one reason I believe is because they like the notoriety. They don't want to be known as just a guy who got busted for killing one person and that's it and they got sent to jail for the rest of their life for that. They want to make themselves to be as big and as bad as they possibly can. Another reason to save their ass. As you can see in a lot of the cases we'll discuss, the killers offer up more to the investigators in order to take the death penalty off the table, which is kind of sad, but I understand why the court has to do it because they want to get closure for the other families. Uh, in this case, you know, they say he killed 28 people at least and he didn't get the death penalty. So hopefully he's having a rough time in prison. Another thing I wanted to discuss was Patrick Kearney's IQ. The psychiatrist measured his IQ at 180. That's genius level. Kearney was proficient in Spanish, Japanese, and Chinese. To put that in perspective, Albert Einstein's IQ was estimated between 160 and 190. While our system's not perfect, it does seem to capture a lot of these people that are super smart, like Kearney. As uh, smart as he was, he still couldn't beat the system. The system has a lot of smart people working for it. And it's got a lot of rules in place and a lot of methods in place that are designed to track down people no matter how smart they are.
All right, as you all know on the show, we like to give the psychopath test, but I believe it's pretty obvious that uh, Mr. Kearney is a psychopath. So instead, I'm going to share some interesting crime terms that I've uh, come across and just give you a little information here. Chicken hawks, pedophiles or child molesters who are commonly older men seeking out young boys as sexual partners. So we could say that possibly Kearney was a chicken hawk. Um, we, we know that he his intent was to kill the person in the end, but he also wanted them as a sexual partner. A clue-in is a public plea technique in which a local television station telecasts clues about an unsolved and recent crime so that listeners can call the station if they have information on the crime or the criminals involved. The objective is to locate witnesses. A comfort-oriented serial killer is a type of hedonistic serial killer that kills for personal gain. An example would be a professional assassin. So somebody who goes out and kills people uh, to get money from them, uh, they, they rob the victim and kill them, they burglarize the house and kill the person. They do it as a way to make money, basically. Disorganized killers are killers who are inadequate, experience intense sadistic sexual fantasies, and suddenly act out these fantasies on a victim of opportunity. Usually are of below average intelligence, are loners, and do not own a vehicle but have access to one. They use a blitz style of attack, catching the victim off guard. Crime scene is disorganized and clustered. So we would say Kearney definitely wouldn't be a disorganized offender, as we talked about earlier. Uh, he's definitely organized. An emotional offender is a person who experiences feelings of remorse and mental anguish as a result of committing the offense. So I would say that would leave most serial killers out because I don't, I don't think I've ever come across a serial killer that actually has remorse of what he had done, has remorse about the victims and their families. He has remorse about getting caught and him going to prison, but usually that's the only kind of remorse that a serial murderer would have. We talked about a hedonistic serial killer a little bit. It's a murderer who has made a connection between personal violence and sexual gratification. Torture, mutilation, and other fear-instilling activities may be committed by this type of serial killer. Lust or thrill killers and comfort-oriented serial killers are examples of this type of killer. So we would say that most likely Kearney was a hedonistic serial killer because he did, his goal was to derive sexual gratification. He wanted to have the people uh, basically dead so he could do whatever he wanted to them. And who knows about, uh, you know, we know that he like to roll around in the guts and the feces and stuff of the pigs and it's possible that maybe he did that with his uh, human victims as well. A power and control serial killer is a murderer who experiences sexual gratification from complete domination of the victim. Uh, they're the a sociopath. Way. So we could definitely say Kearney could also be a power and control serial killer even though he he outsmarted so to speak his victims and trick them into coming along with them uh, he definitely he definitely says that he experienced sexual gratification and he completely dominated them so you decide for yourself a visionary serial killer is a murderer compelled to kill by voices he or she hears or visions he or she sees psychotic so that would include people that are schizophrenic uh, people that are being told by 
voices in their head that they need to go out and kill people. And a lot of times serial killers, we see with like David Berkowitz that he claims that's what what happened with him, that the neighbor's dog was telling him to go out and kill people. And he eventually recanted that. But that would be an example of a visionary serial killer. Special thanks to Kayla Pipkins for the writing and arranging and research. Remember to tell your friends and enemies about us. Leave us a five-star review and subscribe. And I wanted to remind you, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, please email me at exploringevil at gmail.com.